here's how the gut brain, because that's what you asked me, the gut brain connection, we have more neurotransmitters in the digestive tract than you actually do in the brain, particularly serotonin. Serotonin helps with gut motility. So serotonin has receptors all throughout the gut, and that's what helps keeping our keep our gut moving. If if there's an overgrowth of bad bacteria or if the system is constantly in fight flight mode and there's not enough blood flow there, the body is gonna be like, ooh, stuff's not moving, the gut's not right, and it's gonna actually steal from the neurotransmitters in your brain. It'll steal, steal the serotonin from your brain and will shunt it to the gut. And so now we get a dip in our serotonin levels in the brain, which can cause anxiety, depression, all of these mental health type issues, right? So, so chronic stress tends to affect our digestive health, which can then affect our mental and our mental health and our mood. Welcome back to the Ancient Health Podcast, where we educate you on real health solutions that will help transform the way you live, feel, and overcome disease naturally. I'm your host, Courtney Versage, along with Dr. Josh Axe and Dr. Chris Motley. We're so happy you've joined us. Let's dive into today's episode. Hello, friends. Dr. Motley here with the Ancient Health Podcast. And today, our guest is Dr. Erin Kinney out of Maryland, and she talks about all things stress-related and how it can affect your hormone system. But not only that, when you look on her page and on her information, she talks about how the body can increase energy in a safe manner. So she talks about hormones, the relationships between men and women. You're going to have a great time on this podcast. Dr. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Chris. I was excited to chat with you again. We, we talked, what was that? Maybe over a year ago. I had over a year ago. A great conversation. So I'm excited for today. So everybody out there, when we do this conversation, Aaron and I have an agreement. We just sort of go with the flow, but I always want to talk about what the doctor is an expert in. So if it's okay with you, Dr. Aaron, let's talk about stress sure, and about how stress can affect your symptomatology in your, in your body, your structural yeah. body. Yeah. And let's talk about hormonal and testing that can be helpful to an individual especially this day and age, because many individuals out there know that they live in the grind, the fight or flight. They're always going from one thing to the next. Uh, sex drive is low. Stress is really high. They're just basically living where ends meet. First of all, before we start into that, Dr. Aaron, it's so good to see you again. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Let sure. us know about where yeah. your background is and why you have a passion for what you do. Yeah. So I'm a naturopathic doctor and I practice in Maryland and I came to this medicine through my own health journey, maybe 20 something years ago. I went through a period of severe, severe depression. I couldn't get out of bed. I gained 30 pounds. I was crying all the time. I went from running marathons to not being able to get out of bed. Maybe six months into this, I eventually rolled into my GP's office and was like, something's not right. And, you know, before he could, before he even finished letting me talk, he'd written me a prescription for, I think, Wellbutrin or something and sent me out the door. And I just felt, I felt so defeated. I was like, wait a second. I've been healthy. I eat right. I, you know, I went from being like, I just, this doesn't seem like a drug is going to fix this answer. Mm. Anyways, I ended up, I was in therapy and I ended up going to see a naturopathic doctor who, you know, ran some levels. I had been a vegan for about five years at that point. I had basically depleted my adrenals so much that my cortisol levels were so low. And I'll explain this in a little bit. But I was in this crazy adrenal fatigue state that had caused a serious depression. You know, my mental health had suffered, physical health as well, but I was, you know, depleted in every sense. And so he started working with me to rebuild my cortisol levels, to boost my B12 levels, which were low, to boost my iron. I was basically, you know, all my minerals and everything were low. So he worked to bring them back up. And maybe six to eight weeks later, I felt almost 80% better. And I was like, wow, this is wow. incredible. 
at the time I was working in a family business and he kind of counseled me. I, I quit that. I went to work for a recruiting company actually. And I did that for about a year and a year into it, my boss sat me down and she's like, the right field for you. And I said, what do you mean? She's like, you really care about your, you know, your, your applicant's health. She's like, you don't really care about there. I would come to her and I'd be like, well, listen, this woman had to leave her job because she got lupus and listen to these symptoms. And my boss was like, I don't really care about this applicant's <laughs> lupus, but clearly you do. And so yeah. it kind of sparked something. I was like, you know, that's a good point. I do really care. So I ended up going back to have lunch with a naturopathic doctor who had treated me. Uh -huh. I was like, how do you, I want to do what you do. How do you do this? And this was, this was a long time ago. And this was kind of before alternative medicine was as well known as it is now. And he actually told me not to, he's like, don't go down this route. It's going to be hard. It's going to be an uphill battle. You're going to have to work for yourself. And I was like, I love an uphill battle and working for myself. So I didn't listen to him and I went to naturopathic school. And anyways, here I am today. And that I mostly help women that are suffering from what I was going through that were, you know, they end up in their doctor's office. They don't feel good. They mm -hmm. are depressed. Their physical body does not feel like it should. And they're told, eh, it's probably just stress. Here's an antidepressant. And on the one hand, the doctors are not wrong in that stress has probably contributed the majority of what's going on, but the antidepressant isn't the fix. And I think people need to understand why and how stress impacts the mental, emotional, and the physical body so much. Because when you understand the why and the how, you're much more likely to do the things that you need to do to get better, which I'm sure you have experienced in your work as well, correct? Correct. I mean, I think it's really, really useful to have individuals out there that been through an experience. And when individuals go to a doctor and they go, okay, you've been through what I've been through, so I can trust you with that. And you can see that when you look at your page. One of the things I really, I think is really, really intriguing is when your naturopathic doctor found out that you had deficiencies, like let's say in certain B vitamins or iron, why is it, do you think that our American culture or cultures around the world do not pay attention to just, I don't say basic, I mean, but nutritional levels in the body, how important is that? And when you had just those basic baselines read, why aren't we getting those things in our body, in our diet? What is the, I hate to say the cause, but what's the effect of that? Well, those, those, all those, so B12, iron, zinc, iodine, those are all your cofactors that your body uses to do just about anything. So when your body builds, builds a, 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 you know, a hormone or builds, has to build a cell or has to do, do anything, it needs one energy, right? So it needs ATP. It also needs cortisol, which I'll get into, but it needs B12. It needs iron. It needs magnesium. It needs all these things in order to make those processes happen. So without those cofactors, the body gets really strapped. It's like without having, if you didn't have money in today's world, you wouldn't be able to, you know, get to work. You wouldn't be able to buy your groceries. You would, I mean, it, those are the resources that your body uses to do anything. So without mm -hmm. those basic nutrients, the body is going to be struggling and it's going to show up symptomatically. And a lot of those nutrients, one, if you eat a standard American diet, you might be low on those. And two, if your gut health is off at all, if you're, if you're, you know, if you've got poor hydrochloric acid in the stomach, you might not absorb your B12 or your iron or your magnesium. If you have dysbiosis in the digestive tract, you might not be able to absorb some of those nutrients. So there's a lot of things that can go wrong with digestion that can affect the absorption on top of maybe eating a diet that already doesn't have enough of those nutrients. So there's, there's multiple ways that someone can end up with low basic nutrients. And I find that even if levels are kind of within the normal ranges, they might not be the optimal ranges. So many of my people come in and 
their iron's not optimal, their B12's not optimal, their vitamin D is not optimal. And just those three things, if we correct those, the difference in how they feel is amazing. Like I sometimes I'm like, wow, you feel so much better. And they're like, yeah, I feel so much better. And all we did was B12, D and iron, which is so simple, right? It is It is so simple. I think that um, we talked about this in our last conversation. I remember you pointed out that when we talk about B12, how it runs our methylation cycles and how our liver can detoxify properly and how hormones are rebuilt if you have the proper amount and type of B12. And you also talked about iron and you were talking about how iron helps your hormones break down properly. Yeah. And then vitamin D helps with osteoporosis, but autoimmune, immune function, hormone balance. When we have this standard American diet and we've pointed out like this is causing us to have like an overfill of yeast or candida because we're feeding all the natural parts of our body too much sugars and we're actually bombarding and keeping nutrients from being absorbed. Like you said, like we can't absorb these type of nutrients. So it leads to dysfunctions within the gut. Now, those top three, most people are not going to get in their diet, right? Like before I get into about the cortisol and about the brain, how much would an individual have to eat in a natural sense? Like I want to eat foods that have a lot of vitamin D and a lot of vitamin B12 because that's what some individuals come to me. I don't know. They come to you. They go, well, doc, I don't really want to take all those pills. And I'm not trying to push a lot of supplementation on anybody. That's, that's furthest from what I want to do. What do you say that? Like how much nutrients would they have to absorb eating them to meet the demand of what their stress levels are? Because each person's different. Each person's different. I mean, are you asking like how much in grams of something or what, what's the- Not in grams. I mean, like, would it be like you'd have to eat a, a very large amount of vitamin B12 in your diet or you'd have to eat a lot of vitamin D? You can actually go into grams if you want, but because some people are going to argue with that. They're like, I don't need to take that, that supplementation. I'm just going to I mean, eat I, diet. I actually think that the more important thing here is not necessarily, because again, this is going to vary. I think absorption is the more important piece here mm. to talk about. And, and here's, and this is, I'm really big on this because if your body's in a stress state, If your body, if the fight flight part of your system is activated, blood flow is not going to the digestive tract. So the digestion gets turned off completely. All the blood flows in your arms and your legs. And if blood flow is not going to the digestive tract, that means your stomach's not going to produce hydrochloric acid. It's not going to produce any of the enzymes that break down your food. And if food doesn't get broken down into its molecular components in the stomach, you're sure as hell, excuse my French, not going to absorb those nuclear, those, those components in the small intestine. So I think diet is definitely important. I think you need to figure out the foods that are best for your body. And, you know, you need to be eating, you know, lean grass-fed meats, high veggie, you know, definitely big on the veggies, lower on the grains, lower on the dairy. I think that's kind of my standard. If I was going to apply a standard diet, that would be the one that I would recommend. But I think where the individual piece comes in is making sure your stress levels are not too high all of the time. It's okay to have some stress, but you need to have adequate time in that rest and digest phase, which is when digestion gets turned on, when hydrochloric acid gets made, when pancreatic enzymes get made, and then the body can absorb all of the things that you're eating from your diet. I think absorption is the biggest piece that Americans don't, don't, or their bodies don't do. That's a great point, doc, because I was reading, um, you know, when individuals go into our standard American diet, like how they overgrowth with yeast and, and bad bacteria. And how when they produce certain toxins, they actually combine with certain food proteins and actually create microfilms and biofilms that actually keep you from absorbing. And I think that's a big problem that we have. Like people are having, hate to say it, they're, they're working hard. They're working fast. They, they need a quick bite. I understand that they're just trying to survive out there. Now, this is our standard thing that's going on, Doc. 
But then you talk about like, what's it doing to affect our mood? What is it doing to our digestive tract to change our brains and our mind? What does that do? Can you explain that process? Yeah. Well, I think you, you had an interesting, you know, you're t- you keep t- bringing up the yeast and the overgrowth thing. And that is also directly connected to if the body's constantly in that fight flight space so if, mm-hmm. if, and there's not blood flow going to the digestion, that's going to affect the pH in the digestive tract. So the pH in the digestive tract should it should be the re- same as the rest of the body, which is usually about 7.4, which is slightly alkaline, right? So neutral is seven. So anything higher, that's going to be a little bit more alkaline. If the pH goes down even a little bit, mm-hmm. so let's say it goes down to 7.35, that's going to make it slightly more acidic, which is going to allow for the overgrowth of yeast or other bad bacteria. Mm-hmm. And here's how the gut brain, because that's what you asked me, the gut brain connection, we have more neurotransmitters in the digestive tract than you actually do in the brain, particularly serotonin. Serotonin helps with gut motility. So mm-hmm. serotonin has receptors all throughout the gut, and that's what helps keeping our keep our gut moving. If, if there's an overgrowth of bad bacteria, or if the system is constantly in fight flight mode and there's not enough blood flow there, the body is going to be like, Ooh, stuff's not moving. The gut's not right. And it's going to actually steal from the neurotransmitters in your brain. It'll steer the, steal the serotonin from your brain and we'll shunt it to the gut. And so now we get a dip in our serotonin levels in the brain, which can cause anxiety, depression, all of these mental health type issues, right? So, so chronic stress tends to affect our digestive health, which can then affect our mental and our mental health and our mood. Wow. That's, a, that's great because I'm telling you, when you said it all shunts down to the digestive, yeah. right? Now, Doc, many people out there are probably adapting to their stress and they probably don't know that they're in fight or flight. Quickly, maybe, can you give yeah. that, some individuals, like maybe here are some small signs and symptoms that it would allow you to understand that you are in fight or flight and these symptoms could occur, like even if they're just basic ones for individuals, because many people may not know. Yeah. So when the system is in fight or flight and our bodies are designed to any time a stressor comes, and here's the most important thing to understand is your brain doesn't discriminate between stressors. Stress is stress is stress. That could be traffic stress. That could be pandemic stress. That could be a lion chasing you. That could be looking at something you don't like on social media that irritates you a little bit. That could be a negative thought about yourself or a negative thought about someone else. Anything like our brain perceives pretty much everything as a potential threat. And then it will put us into this fight flight mode. And what happens when we're in that mode is our heart rate increases, our breath rate increases, um, our blood sugar increases. And Sugar, you might not be able to tell, but if your heart's racing a little bit, if you feel a little bit anxious, if you feel kind of like activated and like ready to go, that is also you're in stress mode. And here's the thing that I also like to understand. It's not always bad to be in stress mode. Like when you wake up in the morning, you've got energy and you're taking on your day, you're technically in a little bit of a fight flight state. We just don't want to be in that state all the time. Mm. Right. So what Mm. we want, I think the more important thing here actually is because I would, I would argue to say that probably most people that are listening to this, you're probably in fight flight 90% of the time. Most people are. So the more important thing to actually maybe focus on is what can we do to practice getting your body out of that? Here's what happens. And this is usually what I'd like to try to explain to people is cortisol, which we usually think of as the, as kind of the enemy as like, it's like, Oh, it's the bad stress hormone. It's actually a really important hormone. It's what gives your body energy. It's what wakes you up. And it's our body's own natural anti-inflammatory. It's like a natural prednisone that exists in our body. So when cortisol binds into a cell, it reduces inflammation. It helps with pain. It gives the cells energy to do things. And I mentioned this earlier, not that cortisol is a cofactor, but 
in terms of weight loss and whatnot, I mostly see a lot of women that come in and men that are struggling to lose weight and they can't lose weight because their cortisol is low. So cortisol, like I said, it is actually a good thing. It's not, it's not the enemy that we usually think that it is. What tends to happen though, is if you stay in stress mode for a prolonged period of time, you will use up your cortisol. Just like if, so if cortisol were your currency that your body used to do things, or think about it as like the money that your body uses to spend on things. Anytime you're in fight, flight, or doing anything, you're spending that cortisol. Mm. Anytime you rest or you relax, you're earning cortisol. Cortisol, I like to equate it as your body's energy, both on a macro level and on a micro level. So it could be the energy that you're using to like get up and do things. It can also be the energy that your cells need in order to make cellular functioning occur properly. Wow. So when when cortisol is higher Mm -hmm. in the morning, because you do have to get in some form of, you say, fight or flight to handle your day because you're going to handle your job. Yeah. Is there a healthy decline that you should see like on a hormone level basis? Yes. in the day? Yep. So we we typically will see cortisol levels up. Like if we had a scale of one to 10, cortisol levels should be between eight to 10 in the morning and they should slowly decline and be lower in the evening. There's research that has shown that a flatter cortisol curve. So if you were to look at your cortisol and it's kind of flat line, mm-hmm. it's, it's associated with almost every single negative health process in the body, particularly with inflammation or with any inflammatory processes. So if you're someone who's like, you know, struggling with any sort of inflammatory disease or inflammatory process, probably there's a low cortisol thing that is a part of what's going on. So, and you, you talked about testing. There's a four point cortisol test that you can have done where your t- cortisol is tested in the morning, mid morning, afternoon, and in the evening, which will show you what your cortisol levels are doing. And that can be really helpful in figuring out kind of where to go with treatment. You can also kind of gauge that by what your natural energy levels are. So let's say This has to be on a day where you don't drink caffeine or take any stimulants. But if you want to rate your energy levels, like, so rate them on a scale of one to 10, when you first wake up, rate the energy levels again, you know, around 10 AM, rate them again, around noon, around two, around four, and then before bed. So you could plot on a graph and you can usually get a pretty good feel for what your cortisol levels would show up in a lab by just what your energy levels are. So that can be an at-home thing you can try. You can just be like, okay, on a day, I'm not drinking coffee or not taking stimulants because those will those will affect it. And a lot of people will tell me that their energy is great as long as they drink three cups of coffee. If you're drinking <laughs> three cups of coffee, that might be masking a low cortisol. That's If it's masking, um, uh, let's go back to that in just a few minutes because sure. when you have that natural degradation of cortisol, so your body, if it gets to a point, people out there listening, where your cortisol is consistently low, you could have had high cortisol and you burned it out like yes. because you were, you were requiring through fight or flight to keep producing the cortisol to create energy, to help yes. reduce inflammation. Okay. Yes. So when that occurs, what is the problem though? Because you have that natural decline in the day at night when you raise fight or flight, let's say you watch uh, uh, stressful uh, shows. Maybe. Is it very important to keep your cortisol levels in the evening time? It's, it is important to try to keep them lower in the evening because that's what's going to help you fall asleep. And it also becomes important because cortisol and melatonin, which melatonin is our sleepy hormone, they have direct opposing action. So when cortisol is low, that tells the body to make more melatonin. So if you are regularly watching stressful TV before bed and you're getting a little mini cortisol spike, that could slowly start to disrupt what we call the circadian rhythm. So the cortisol is going to look like, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to raise at night because when we rest, we're earning it. So the yeah. body builds the cortisol as we sleep and usually it gets to its peak. And that's usually what wakes you up naturally is a peak in cortisol. 
It is better in the evening to not do anything super stressful. This is where we want to be relaxed and unwinding. And yeah, I usually recommend to most of my patients not to watch stressful TV in the evening. Don't watch the news. Don't watch scary shows. You want to watch happy, funny, silly things before bed (laughs) to keep those cortisol levels down. So they could get the four point. I mean, you can get a you could get a cortisol test because they'll probably have you test like through saliva, like certain times of the day or yes. something like that to see if you're tracking on where you're actually building up the cortisol towards the morning. You wake up and then you burn yes. it all off in the day. Yes. Okay, so you should have that high amount so you could burn it off. Yes. Yeah, so it's it's good to have cortisol. It's kind of like it's almost similar to blood sugar. Like you don't mm-hmm. want too too much blood sugar and you don't want too too low blood sugar. We want blood sugar to be balanced and cortisol. We want it to be balanced, but it also follows this circadian rhythm that we want to kind of stay in line with. So it's a little bit complicated to understand, but it, I, the message I like to get across is that it's not bad and we need it. And it, it, it is like our life force hormone. You know, you touched earlier when we first got on about um, people with low sex drive and how cortisol and what tends to happen is cortisol is a steroidal hormone. It's built similarly to our estrogen, our progesterone, our testosterone. So if you're in a low cortisol state and the body can't build more of it, it actually will steal from your sex hormones and try to shunt it over to cortisol, particularly if you stay in stressed out states. So what we see, what I see in patients with adrenal fatigue, where their cortisol levels are low is if they don't do anything about it, eventually their sex level, sex hormone levels will start to decline. Wow. So yeah. it's like basic building blocks it of is. cortisol are similar to those that create sex hormones and your body's like, hey, I need that basic material because you're in constant fight or flight. Yep. Oh, that's a very good point. So one of our biggest things you mentioned before is like you get up in the morning and you're stressed. And the first thing that most people think about is like, when can I get that first morning cup of coffee? Because it makes me feel so good. With this, like you build up the cortisol, you said it can be like an antagonist. Like, is there a correlation with like with adenosine or like there's parts of coffee that could actually, that is counterintuitive to cortisol balance? With coffee, I'm not trying to dog coffee because I yeah, have no, a cup no. of coffee. Okay, and I, I'm not trying to dog coffee either. I, I, I find that my usually like differentiating factor is if you have to have the coffee to function or the caffeine, and let's not maybe say coffee, let's say caffeine because it's really caffeine that's that's doing. Caffeine is going to bump your adrenaline. And so here's another point that we should probably touch on is when cortisol levels start to decline, mm-hmm. one of the other main hormones that gets produced in response to the fight flight stimulation is adrenaline Mm. and adrenaline. I like to say that cortisol is a very metabolically expensive molecule, whereas adrenaline is very, very cheap. The body can easily make adrenaline at any given time. Cortisol, again, it takes a lot of building blocks. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a builder. It's a bigger building block of a, of a hormone. If you're in a low cortisol state and you're still getting your stress response triggered, the body will tend to overcompensate by making more adrenaline. And this is what coffee tends to, if if you're in a a low cortisol state and you drink coffee, it tends to spike your adrenaline. So I find a lot of patients that have Mm. lower cortisol are more sensitive to caffeine. They tend to get a little jacked up. They get, you know, elevated heart rate. They might not, they might not sleep as well when they drink caffeine. If you're someone who's like, I have my coffee and I feel great and I don't have any issues, probably your cortisol levels are okay. Mm. That tends to be my experience. There can be some liver breakdown things that also have to do with how fast you break down, you know, caffeine and whatnot. But that would be like bio individuality, like yes. different people break down uh, caffeine yes. and its components differently than the next yes. person. So some people could break it down, could tolerate it better than others. Yeah. Because I guarantee you, though, Doc, they're going to on this, they're going to be on this podcast to be like, well, what about coffee? Because I've heard coffee is always bad. And I'm like, not for every individual. I mean, not for every individual. Yeah. You know, I love that explanation about the cortisol and the adrenaline. Yeah. Now, circling back, Doc, I think this sort of piqued your interest, though. 
Because I think individuals out there are talking about like sex drive. I don't know if you want to talk about a bit about sex sure. drive because yeah, I guarantee you people are going to be like, hey, let's go back to that sex drive thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, can you touch a bit about, about the basics of sex drive with the cortisol and the fight or flight? Sure. So the basic concept that I like to understand is your body is either making sex hormones or it's making stress hormones. If you think about it from an evolutionary standpoint, particularly for a female, the female body is going to want to bring a baby into the world if there's not a lot of stress going on, right? If there's a famine or there's like the female body is like, why would we make sex hormones? Why would we even have a sex drive? We don't Mm. want to procreate, right? So there's a kind of an evolutionary benefit to not making a lot of sex hormones when their body's in a chronic fight flight state. So there's, there's that to consider, but from a, what gives us sex drive are for men and women, testosterone is a really important hormone. So testosterone is important for drive. It's important for that desire. And when we talk about sex drive, mm-hmm. um, and this is a question that I ask patients and sometimes they're like, what do you mean? Oh, I have sex once a week. This is sex drive is the desire for sex. So it, maybe you're having sex, maybe you're not, but you, it, it, it's healthy to have a desire for it, to think about it. Maybe not all the time, but to be thinking about it on a regular basis. <laughs> if you never think about sex, probably your sex drive is low and you might want to get your hormone levels checked. So for women, that would be looking at testosterone, estrogen, and progesterone, as well as I usually will check cortisol and a hormone called DHEA, because those tend to be, if the body's making too much DHEA or cortisol, they tend to not be making as much of the other sex hormones, the progesterone, estrogen, testosterone. So if those levels are low, the desire for sex is going to be low. Wow. Um, And so that's same thing for men too. If men have lower testosterone, they tend to have lower desire for sex. And so you were saying before that if the body's basic building components are required to create more cortisol uh, hormone to actually handle the stress, it may not be shunted over to actually help you make more testosterone or estrogens to give you the desire. Yes. Okay. Yes. So it's like if you're in a chronic stress state, the body will basically, it's like robbing Peter to pay Paul. The body's like, well, I'm going to steal the testosterone and I'm going to go pay the stress guy over here. I'm going to keep pumping out cortisol. And so then you'll see these sex hormones start to decline. And, and then, and that can either show up, usually it starts as lower sex drive in men that can start to show up as loss of the ability to maintain an erection, loss of the ability to have an orgasm. Same thing for women. You can start to see vaginal atrophy, pain and dryness during sex. And, you know, sex becomes less enjoyable or they have difficulty orgasming. So these hormones are so important for keeping up healthy sex drive and for making sex enjoyable. Wow. Well, and so when they see that decline, they can get a hormonal test, get a panel done to yes. check these. What do you also see as, we may have already been talking about them, but what do you see some of the main contributors being to like, we know it's stress, but are there any type of dietary or lifestyle things that you say that could diminish um, sex drive? Yeah. I mean, I think being on the go all the time and never mm-hmm. giving your body any time to relax, particularly during the day. I think this is really common in you know, Americans culture is we get up and we're just in go mode all day until we get home. And then it's like, we crash on the couch and we fall asleep and go to bed. <laughs> and so there's no time in there for the body. There's no, there's no siesta. There's no afternoon, like relaxed practice or, you know, and I, maybe not everyone has this lifestyle, but this is a common thing that we see. It's like, go, 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 go all day. So the body's constantly in on mode. And if you're in that on mode, you know, you're, you're not going to want to be thinking about sex. And so not the body will then be like, you know, it won't make a lot of those hormones, but so, yeah. So if you're seeing a lower decline and this diet can be really important here because of those nutrients that we touched on last time, particularly mm-hmm. magnesium, um, iron's important. B12 is important. B6 and B5 are really important. So all of the B vitamins, 
Omega-3 fatty acids can be really important. So basically we want to make sure that all of those nutrients are there so that the body can build those sex hormones. So again, I think if you have this in your head, an idea that these are like blocks that we, you know, we have built certain, you know, configurations of them, but if you don't have the blocks to build them, the body's not going to be able to make the hormones. And if you can't make the hormones, you're not going to have the desire. So you have to cut out the stressful situations and give you the building blocks. And on your website, I mean, we'll get to your information, but you'll be able to do the, you'll show testing and such that are pretty much effective to help find these nutrient levels. Cause many people are going to ask that. They're going to be like, how can I get this tested on me? Yeah. Well, and I'll talk about the testing, but I was just going to say, sometimes we can't change the stressful situations, right? Like none of us could do anything about the fact that there was a pandemic, right? But what you can do, and this is what I try to teach in my teachings with my patients, what you can do is you can build in time to teach your body to relax. So you could build in a daily meditation practice. You could build in a peaceful, calming walk. You could build in, I, I call it getting horizontal for 15 minutes. You just lay on your back. Maybe you listen to music. You literally just like unplug yourself and allow the nervous system to chill out. So you can start to build in these daily, like add these on. Cause I think if you try to be like, I've got to cut out the stress, I've got to cut out the stress there's a lot of stresses that we can't control. And then it gets really overwhelming and people are like, I can't do this. I'm just going to go back to living the way I've been living. But if you look at it differently is that, okay, the stress is going to be there. It's going to be there, right? It's not going to change. Like, and you might have a job or a partner or a child or, you know, something in your life that you can't remove, but Mm -hmm. you can start to train your body or give your body that extra time in the opposite of fight flight in that rest and digest, which will allow the body to overcompensate for what's going on with the stressors. I I totally agree, doc, because uh, I think when you were in naturopath school, I'm in chiral school, you remember, I I do a lot of like Chinese medicine and they talk about like when you go from a, basically from a a sympathetic state into vegatonia around four or five, in Chinese medicine, they'll say that's when you start to go into the kidney time where a lot of the electricity in the body is supposed to help replenish the kidneys, which is for siesta. So at three to four, you should be slowing down and rebuild the grounding chi within the kidneys so that you can actually restore the kidneys. And I love the interaction between Western and Eastern because if you restore the kidneys, you're actually helping the hormones that help build blood flow. They'll yeah. help build red blood yeah. cells. And so you're building up towards the evening yeah. for sex time. And so if yes. you are... After like you, you go, you're like, well, I have to, I got to take the kids to soccer practice. I've got to get this report done. I have to do this. And I, you don't siesta, your kidneys and your bladder get really tired. And then you're like, well, what's my blood flow going to be like tonight? It's like, not very good. Now there's already you know blood that. flow down there. So it's not, yeah, you're going to be like, nope, they're not. All the blood has to go to my brain. Yeah. Yep. yeah, yeah so yeah. it's, it's really like great correlation when we see that you have to learn how to reduce stress. And one of the main things they always tell us about like kidney time is like when you ground, we talk about going outside and taking your shoes off and grounding, but they say you actually have to find restorative practices that allow you to see how you actually have self-care. Like Because you'll go through your day taking care of people all the time. And I think it's really amazing that the kidneys and the adrenals sit right next to each other. Yes. And they always say, if your kidneys are low and your bladder's low in Chinese medicine, you'll go into anxiety and your main emotions will be fear and paralyzed will. Yeah. I'm afraid because I'm in constant anxiety and I can't move forward. I'm stuck. Yeah. And I think that if we can learn to not practice all the stressful events and realizing it will actually help sex drive and help us to like release hormones, it's like it's a different culture now that we have to teach this type of information. We have to teach people now to slow down. Yeah. There was my rant, but doc, yeah. this is great. Um, so the individuals can't get that testing. Okay. Yes. They find out that the building blocks. And we talked about cortisol levels. Now, with stress, 
do you feel like with this overall amount of stress with individuals, can you, this is the question I want to ask you myself, when you're around other people that are individually stressed, okay, like let's say you're at work, do you pick up on that? I mean, does your body kind of mimic other individuals, their hormone levels? I'm sorry to ask that because I have people that come in all the time. They're like, I'm okay till I go to work. And then I get around my coworker and then it seems like my hormone shifts and I just do the same thing they do. Is there a validity to that or is that a problem? Oh, oh totally. I mean, our, our nervous systems are, are way more intelligent than I think we, and our bodies are way more intelligent than I think we give them credit for. So of course you're going to, you're going to pick up on other people's emotional states and you might not be mentally aware of it, but your body's going to be aware of it. And I had, I recorded a podcast with someone a couple of weeks ago she's a trauma therapist. And we were talking about just the pace that people speak at. So if I were to slow down my voice and speak a lot slower, you engaging with me in conversation, I'm going to speed back up because we have a lot to say, but it, it would actually start to calm your nervous system down a little bit. So if I'm talking to you and I'm in a stressed out tizzy and I'm saying whatever I'm saying, it's going to affect your nervous system. Mm -hmm. Same thing if you're nervous and if your nervous system is calm, that might have an effect on me. So our, and I think, I don't know the exact science behind this. I, I could speculate on, I think our, you know, we know that our hearts give out measurable amounts of energy currency and our bodies do as well. So mm. when you're in the same physical space with someone, even when you're just communicating, like we're not even in the same location, but your nervous system and my nervous system are communicating. You know, mm -hmm. we're talking through sound, but it's going to have an impact on myself and I'm going to have an impact on you. Anyone who's listening to us talking, we're going to have an impact on you, mm -hmm. right? So I don't know. I, I think I think you're right. The, the people and the places and the things that you spend your time in are going to have an impact on you. Okay. So I was reading this book by this doc. It's talking about sound and vibrational therapy, about sound yeah. and music. And it was talking about how if you talk to somebody and their voice seems really kind to you, that biochemically you actually adjust to it because the vibrational tones that are coming into your brain makes you relax. Like you said, you actually release certain chemicals. So yeah. whether you're from a thousand miles away or you're in Maryland, I'm here and we're talking, they're going to be like, oh, this person's a great person for me. Yeah. And this person actually help. helps me grow internally. Yeah. Like it actually happens. Yeah. And I think it's a beautiful thing of how vibration turns into chemistry, you know, yeah. or, or vice versa, you know? Well, okay. I'm going to, this is one of my favorite little aside things. Do you know who Dr. Omoto is? Japanese doctor studied water, oh, water and molecules. Oh, he, he did something about water, water yes. molecules. What so he what do? he would do is he would take water and he would say something to the water. He would say, let's say love to the water. And then he would take pictures of the water at a molecular level. And it would show these beautiful crystals, snowflake, beautiful things. And then he would take another glass of water and say something like hate to the water. And the the water would not crystallize. It would not look like a snowflake. It would look ugly and disorganized. And so you can go Google this if you're listening. Go Google Dr. Omoto water, and you'll see thousands of pictures where he said different things. He would play music. So the water, the structure of the water changes based on the vibration from whatever it's hearing. So if you think about that, our bodies are mostly water. So what you're listening to has a major impact on your physical health. Oh I feel like that's where, that's where like the rubber meets the road in this piece. And this is where, you know, I'm sure most of you may be listening. I've seen the studies where they play, you know, they, they speak positively to a plant and the plant thrives. And if you bully a plant, the plant will die because oh, you think about like what it's doing to the water in the plant cells. Right. So if you say kind things, so this is where kindness really does matter so much. Right. That is a, a beautiful point because 
I was reading like um, with water that the H2O bonds that let's say, like you said, I was near somebody that had a negative energy that you can actually put electrical current into water and the electrical current, the type of current or vibrational tone that you put in the water actually shape the bonding angles of the H2O. And so it can change all your water structure. That's amazing to me. Like, let's say, is that the reason why like, doc, you can go into a room and you probably know that somebody in there is not the right person for you. You're like, oh, that, yeah. that person gives me the heebie-jeebies or whatever they yeah. call it. Yeah. And it could shift your hormones probably. Yeah. I, would, I would totally assume that yeah. though. Yeah, wow. oh, definitely. It's the, our bo- I think our bodies are just the more, the longer that I've been in this field, I, every day I'm amazed at how, how intelligent the human body is on, on so many different levels, like mm-hmm. just the chemical processes that have to happen, but the way that it can, I don't, I don't know. I just am constantly in the state of amazement about the human body. And I think we're learning more and more about, obviously we know so much about like, you know, the Western world part of the body, but I think the Eastern medicine and this stuff we're talking about, like how you can go in and like, you can feel someone's energy, or I love the research going, that's going on right now about fascia. Um, you know, how fascia can hold on to memories and hold on to emotions and that can get stuck. And so this is why movement and dance and any sort of, you know, physical touch can be so healing to the body because it's healing the fascia. It's just, I don't know. It's such a cool space to be in. I think it is too. I was reading a report too, and I want to get back to you more about what you do at your, at your clinic uh, about how fascia, like the, uh, the small tendrils of the small filaments that are in fascia can actually connect to DNA, the actual chromosome DNA. And then what you feel touch movement wise actually changes your DNA. And that's another discussion for another time. We should do that on another podcast. It'd be great. Another episode. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I know we have limited time, but I would say this. Okay, so when individuals come to you, right, in, yes. in your office, in your clinic, and they do virtuals and such, what are some of the main things that you you address? I know we talk about hormones, but do, is there particular cases or things that you that you see a majority of your patients come to you with? Yep. So I see a lot of chronic fatigue. We see a lot of thyroid issues. Either patients already know they have thyroid issues, or they might suspect they have thyroid issues, and that could be like constipation, bloating, digestive issues. It could be dry skin, hair loss. We see a lot of people with insomnia with, mm-hmm. and you know, they have dysreg- their dysregulated circadian rhythms. And I see a lot of patients with PMS, endometriosis, PCOS. So their sex hormones are dysregulated. We treat some infertility and we treat things kind of all over the map. Most people come to our clinic because they know that stress has had some impact on their physical body. And they're kind of wanting to figure out like, what's this missing piece? So, and, and testing wise, which we keep talking about, we're going to talk about. So I, I typically run a, a really complete hormone test and, and you can do this through conventional labs that if you have insurance that covers labs, oftentimes your insurance will cover it. So I like to test cortisol, DHEA, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and then a full thyroid panel, which would be TSH, T3, T4, T3 uptake, thyroid antibodies. And then I typically run all the nutrient levels. So we'll look at B12, iron, vitamin D, zinc, magnesium, iodine omegas, vitamin A. So I kind of try to look at the major nutrients that your body needs so we can see which levels are low, which levels are normal. So we can be, if we need to supplement, we can choose the supplements that you absolutely need. Cause I'm kind of with you. I'm not huge on taking a million supplements. I think we should get what we can from our diet. Mm-hmm. If we're not absorbing things from our diet while we're still trying to work out the stress and hormone piece, it's okay to take a supplement for a little while so that we can get those levels back up. Cause it will get you feeling better a little bit faster, or we can figure out what foods you need to eat in order to get those levels back up. I'll say this, no, with PCOS and with the hormones, I, I, I see that a lot of times, and you see probably it too, in 
social media where I like, I love to refer to doctors and to practitioners that really love and are passionate. And we can tell that about you about like with energy and metabolism, about like how to actually increase energy. And I think that it's the thing that if you guys are listening, you guys need to make sure that when you read Dr. Aaron's post and when you read her information, uh, she can take really complex subjects and, and make them simplistic. I try. You know, like where you say what's nutrient. Now I'm going to tell you when you listen to her podcast, sometimes she's, She's so, like the, the brilliance comes out and, and it's, it, you have to, you have to be able to follow it, which is great. So doc, I say that's total confidence. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Thank you very much. But uh, so with this though, like we just want to make sure that people know that with your post, creating energy properly yes. turns on everything else. Like if you yes. do it properly, like yes. I, I've heard reports that say the Krebs cycle, uh, the energy cycle in your cells, it's like, if you get that thing running really well, 70% of the other stuff gets better. 80% gets better. So yeah. People get so complicated, and that's what I love about your information. They're like, "Oh, I've got this, I got this, this, and this." I'm like, "If you regulate energy, you should yeah. be able to see improvement." Yeah. Is that yeah. is that a fair that's, assumption? Yeah, that's a fair. I mean, and and, and thank you for like I, I for that compliment. I really try being a patient myself. A long time ago, I found it really helpful to talk to someone who would explain it to me in a way that I could understand it. You know, before I learned everything that I learned, and I think. People resonate with that. They want to understand what's going on with their body. And sometimes you don't need to get all super sciencey and complex. Like one of the best things I learned when I was in med school was from Dr. Peter Diadamo, actually, who's the author of the blood type diet. Mm-hmm. I was in a clinic rotation under him and he, I had a really complex case come in and I think I was a third year med student and I had no, this woman was on 15 medications and a bunch of different supplements and she had seven or eight major diagnoses. And I was like, I don't even know, I don't even know where to start. And he sat me down and he's like, the more complex the case, the more that's going on, the more you want to go back to basics. So the more you want to focus on morning sunlight, energy, or excuse me, exercise, drinking water, diet, sleep, like those are the basics. And, and that that was like a really profound thing. And I, every time I have a case that comes into me and the patient's talking about, well, I'm taking these supplements and running all these tests. I'm like, no, let's talk about your basics first. If, because if the basics are set and you still have issues, then we can go get complicated. But if the basic stuff isn't said, if you're not getting adequate sleep, if you're not getting enough sunlight, if you're not, you know, we're basically like complicated houseplants. We have to have all those basics. And if those basics aren't needs aren't being met, it's really hard to get everything else in balance. Mm-hmm. And you could, you could spend your whole life taking millions of supplements and trying all the diets and all the things. But if you don't focus on the basics, it's going to be hard to get the results you want in your health. I, I couldn't agree more, Doc, because it's like they always say like in homeopathy, they say that if you have a symptom that's resulting from you not getting enough sleep and then you try to take a supplement to suppress that symptom, your brain's trying to bring to awareness a problem so that you actually go and correct through the basic means of sleep or sunlight or getting out and grounding. So you could take care of a whole lot of things that God's given, like the God green earth can actually help us heal. So I'm with you. I always say less is more. Let's less go back. My, my mentor used to tell me, he used to say, if you really have to take more than three to four supplements, like herbals and stuff, he goes, you, you've got to etch away like what's really yeah. causing this whole system to drive in that fight or flight. And yes. doc, you show such great information about this. So I know that I'm, I'm watching time, but making sure that people out there know where to come to see you or get information from you. Can you tell us yeah. where your social media and your website? Sure. Yeah. So I hang out on Instagram a lot. I post there a lot. Um, you can, you can go check out my podcast. I bring on different guests. Dr. Motley's been a guest and I'm actually working on a book right now that'll hopefully come out in 2024. And it's all about cortisol kind of what we talked about. So to put it so that you'll have like an easily obtainable thing to go read about all this, but check out the podcast, check out Instagram. 
And my website is drarenkinney.com. We've got some information on there if you want to work with us one-on-one in our clinic. Well, I want to say this. I want people out there, if you really want to know about energy, energy metabolism, please listen to her podcast. Um, she's a, a, a sweet doctor that really cares about people. So, Doc, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Courtney and Dr. Josh, I say, hey, thank you so much for joining us today. For all of you guys out there, um, if you have any energy problems, please visit her website, visit her page. Until the next time on the Ancient Health Podcast, we really appreciate Dr. Aaron Kinney. Thank you so much again for joining thank us. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Hey, Dr. Axe here. I want to say thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to like and subscribe to the show so you don't miss a thing. Also, if you're in search of more natural health content, you can follow us at Health Institute on Instagram or subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the show notes below. Hey, thanks a lot and have a blessed week.